Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Interlude Podcast. You are listening to episode 72, A Conversation with Corrine Holmes. Corrine was diagnosed with stage three triple negative breast cancer in January of 2021. She was only 31 years old and she was pregnant with her second child. She initially developed what she thought was a breast infection. But after antibiotics were not effective, she had several tests and biopsies performed, which confirmed the diagnosis of breast cancer. On today's episode, she talks about what it was like to be diagnosed with breast cancer during pregnancy, the steps that followed, what it was like going through treatment with a newborn, and what life looks like now. Corrine is radiant. She is inspiring. And I hope that you enjoy our conversation. I learned so much from listening to her and I know that you will too. And with that, let's get right into it. I'm your host, Dr. Eleanor Toplinski, and I am a board certified medical oncologist specializing in the treatment of breast and gynecologic cancers. I started the Interlude podcast as a way to share the journeys and experiences of women who are going through cancer. On this podcast, we talk about anything and everything related to the cancer journey, the treatment, and life after cancer. As a reminder, the information discussed on this podcast is not meant to serve as medical advice. Any specific medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. Thank you for joining me, Corrine. Welcome. Hi, thank you. I'm excited to be chatting today. Can you start by telling the listeners a little bit about who you are and your story? Yeah, I'm so excited to be here and to be talking with you. Um, So a little bit about me. Um, I am 32 years old and I have two kiddos. I have a two and a half year old girl and a seven month old little boy. And I am married to the love of my life. We have been together for over eight years. Um, And in January of 2021, I um, was about uh, 30 weeks pregnant and it was, uh, Christmas day. Actually, I was, um, at my parents' house celebrating Christmas and my breast was, um, just kind of starting to feel like I had sharp pains, um, but nothing too out of the ordinary. Um, like I said, I was pregnant and so I didn't really think anything of it. And, um, I had an appointment for my pregnancy coming up in just a couple of weeks. So I waited to um, go in. And anyways, when I fast forward, when I had went in for my appointment, um, she had treated it as mastitis. And um, I went in for a mammogram and an ultrasound. It came back cancer free. So we celebrated. We were ecstatic. And um, the antibiotics for the mastitis, it just didn't go away. And so she ended up bringing me back in, um, had me go in for a biopsy. And on Monday, January 25th, I got a phone call and I was diagnosed with stage three triple negative breast cancer. It's been a whirlwind of a year. (laughs) And I mean, kind of 
what was your reaction at that moment, right? Because you have the mammogram and the mammogram is clean and thinking it's mastitis. And when you got the call, where were you? What were you doing? How did you react? So before I had went in for my biopsy to backtrack just a little bit, um, she had sat me down and she was like, you know, Karine, these pills should have been working for your mastitis. And I was talking to another OB and she goes, we need to put you in or like bring you in for a biopsy. She goes, this could be breast cancer. And I was just kind of like, yeah, okay. Like, okay, whatever. And, and I think my facial expression came off that way because she goes, Karine, I, I said the word breast cancer. Like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Like everything's going to be fine. And, um, and so anyways, I think, I think I've been in denial. I mean, even to this day, I think a part of me is still sometimes in denial that this is actually happening. Um, and so when I had gotten the phone call, it was like seven o'clock at night. And the, the surgeon who had taken the biopsy was the one who called me. And, um, he's like, you know, normally I wouldn't call my patients. I would have like seen you face to face, but because I was pregnant and with how aggressive the cancer is, he, he decided to call me so that we could get like a plan in place. You know, when he called me, I was at home with my husband and, um, I just, I don't know. I think I was just so much in shock that it didn't really hit me. Um, I called, my closest girlfriend and my mom and dad, and then my sister. And that was all that I had told right away. And, um, even talking to them, I mean, I, I cried a little bit, but it just wasn't like, this is going on, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're pregnant, you're a few more weeks left, right. You're kind of focused on, that's the last thing that you expect and pregnant or not, no one expects to be diagnosed with breast cancer ever. And especially in their thirties. Yes. And what happened after that? So um, Tuesday morning, I went in and I met with my OB to figure out a plan to deliver my son. Um, You know, I don't think there's ever a good spot to have cancer, a good time to have cancer. But, um, you know, I am pretty fortunate that I was so far along with my son that we were able to deliver him healthy and not be worried about that. So I went in and we got a plan set in place to um, deliver him. The biggest thing with that was we were hoping that it would be vaginal versus a C-section just with starting chemo and stuff. My OB really stressed that that, you know, can take a toll on somebody. And we ended up having a plan in place. And then on Wednesday, Maybe it was that same day. I don't even remember. I ended up meeting with my oncologist um, and we got a plan in place for starting chemo. So Wednesday on the 26th, the 27th, um, I went into the hospital and um, nothing happened. And then the next day, um, contractions started and everything. I delivered a beautiful, healthy, handsome little baby boy. How many weeks were you at that point? I was, uh, 36 weeks. I had just turned 36 weeks. He was six pounds, six ounces. I'm like, man, I can't even imagine if we and then the following week, that following week, um, I started chemo. So and you have a triple negative breast cancer. Correct. What was the chemo that you received? Okay, I'm terrible with the names. <laughs> um, so I, I started with Taxil. Okay. 
Carbo. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I did that for 12 weeks and then, um, and then after that I did AC. Okay. Standard. And what yeah. was chemo like with a newborn and a toddler? So, um, my mom, actually my mom and dad drive truck for a living and they team up and, uh, my mom was able to just come off the road. And so she has been here for me since day one, which, um, has been a huge blessing because my husband works full time. I obviously have children. Um, so that's been really, really nice. And, um, but you know, with her help, that's, that's been everything with the kids and household chores and everything. Um, I will say everybody is different. So Taxel and Carbo were nothing to me. I handled them really, really awesome. Um, I had the same energy that I always have. I mean, I was really tired, but I was a brand new mom all over again and going through chemo. So yes, uh, fatigue was real, but, um, I mean, I handled it really well and I was thankful for that. My mom was able to continue to work until I really, truly needed her. Um, I mean, it's hard to say that, you know, chemo is, is it's hard. It's really, really hard, but at the same time, um, I'm a very, upbeat, positive human being. And I think from the start, I've always had to have that mindset. If you don't, this is going to drag you down. And, um, you know, I, I have a life that I'm supposed to live and I couldn't let cancer define me. So I think just having that mentality since day one has really helped push me through. No, I think having those mantras, right, and things that you say to yourself in those hardest moments can be really, really helpful. You started how soon after you delivered? Did you actually start the chemotherapy? Was so for two weeks? Yeah, a week later, I had my son on Thursday, and I started chemo the following Wednesday. Was there any discussion? And I don't know if you had thought about having more children or planned on having more children, like, you know, obviously you didn't have time for fertility preservation or any of that. So can you talk a little bit about those decisions or conversations that you had? Yeah. Um, my husband and I definitely were planning on having at least one more kid. Um, when I was diagnosed, you know, my, my oncologist did talk to me a little bit about having more children. Um, and I could have, you know, frozen my eggs or, or whatever. Um, I think and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I feel like he said something along the lines of getting pregnant again would not be a great choice. Um, maybe I don't know if that's really what I heard or not. Either way, it kind of scared me. And so I said, no more, like we can be done. Um, now at the, at this point in my life, I look back on that and I kind of wish that I would have done something because I would really love to have another. Um, but we've talked about adopting or fostering or something. So we might go a different route, but yeah, I mean, it was discussed, but I didn't do anything for it. No, and I think, you know, it's really hard in those moments. I mean, it's hard for anybody. You know, I have this conversation with people a lot, right? And a lot of times people aren't even sure if they want to have more children, but when you're told you may not be able to, it really changes your perspective and how you think about it. We do know that some people are after chemotherapy, if they're young enough when they're diagnosed or 
fertility returns and their periods return and they are able to conceive naturally. In terms of whether it's advised or not, you know, we're starting to see more data. There was a big study published very recently. So after that conversation, looking at pregnancy after breast cancer, and it is safe in certain situations, but a lot of it depends on, you know, what your cancer has been doing and what treatment you had and when the treatment was. But I'm I'm happy to see the research happening for this because we're seeing younger and younger cancer. And so we need to, this is such a big part of people's lives. Yeah, definitely. So, um, but I think it's wonderful that you're thinking also about non, I don't want to say traditional, but alternative ways, right? Because there's so many children out there that I'm sure you could help that way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And Talk to me a little bit about kind of your, I don't know, I mean, physically, I'm like, I think we all know how chemo affects us, right? And how people struggle with it. But I want to hear like emotionally, like what was the toll? What were you feeling going through this as a new mom, body image, postpartum body, now Mm -hmm. by cancer? Tell us about that. So I am a health coach and, um, you know, that's another thing. Like, I think we all, all know this, but you don't really know it until you're in the heat of it, that like cancer doesn't discriminate. I'm a very healthy person. I'm five, five. You don't need to know my weight, but I'm healthy. I'm active. I eat really well. Um, and I've been like that my entire life. And, um, you know, so it's just, it's crazy that this happened, um, But either way, yeah, postpartum body, all of it. It's been hard for somebody who is an active person and and cares about the way I feel and um, working out and all of that. Um, I mean, so like I said, with with my first set of treatments, so with Taxil, with Taxil and Carbo, I was feeling great. Um, So I did do... Um, very lightweight workouts. And I tried to do as much as I could. Um, Working out during chemo, I think is very important just to help you maintain that energy and um, to help with the nausea and all of it. Um, AC was a little bit harder for me. And so I was in bed a little bit longer. Um, And yeah, I mean, we're human. I'm female. I look in my mirror and I see a bloated, bald, (laughs) um, inflamed breast girl. And, and that's hard. It is really hard mentally. But again, if you, if you sit with that mindset, it's going to totally just drag you down. And, you know, I'm not trying to sugarcoat this at all, but I definitely have had my days. I've had my days where I've cried in my closet and, you know, whatever. Um, but again, if, if I continued to sit there, I wasn't going to get back out of it. So I had my time to mourn. I would have my self talks in the mirror. Um, but then I would have to snap back out of it and just, you know, face reality. This is it. And, you know, you just got to keep pushing forward and do what you can. So, yeah, (laughs) I love that. I, I think that that kind of giving yourself time to mourn and be sad, but not letting it define you or paralyze you. Yeah. And what about being a new mom or a second time mom? Yeah. So that's another thing too with, um, so with my daughter, I have 
I have been able to be home with her every day since I've delivered her. And I'm very thankful for that. And, um, you know, we knew that I was going to continue to do that when, when I got pregnant with my second child and, um, with Reese, when he was born, it was really hard to connect with him because of everything that I was going through. Um, for the first, I, I mean, probably the first four months of him being alive, it was kind of like he was just there. As sad as that is to say, uh, it was really, really hard to connect with him and feel like a part of me felt angry that I was diagnosed when I was pregnant. Um, a part of me was sad that this had to happen to him when he was inside of my belly. I just had all of this like mom guilt and, um, he was this perfect, sweet little angel. And I just, I just had so much guilt. Um, my mom was helping so much and, it, it was hard for me as me being his mom and him always going to my mom. It was kind of like, but he's my child. And, you know, so it was hard the first few months. And it wasn't until just probably about a month ago that I finally was able to start connecting with him because chemo is done and, and surgery is done and all of this stuff that I've actually been able to lay on the floor and play with him and interact with him. And I'm not just laying in bed and feeling sorry for myself. So do you have any advice for people that are going through similar things? You know, I, I actually, it's a very interesting perspective because I always talk to patients who have cancer during pregnancy or after pregnancy. And we talk about, you know, how you may not feel like yourself, right. And all the hormone changes and from the chemo and all of that, but I've never really thought about how that relates. You know, we talk about postpartum blues and postpartum anxiety and all of that, but how that relates to your relationship with your child. It's very, you know, interesting. And any advice for people that may be experiencing similar things? I guess my biggest piece of advice is, is you need to focus on you. Um, this is obviously a really hard time. And if you put your focus on, on your family, like most us moms do, um, that's going to be even harder for you. I think, uh, you have to take that time to help yourself feel better and, and to acknowledge what's going on with you. Um, while I mourn for that time with Reese again, um, you know, it is what it is. And I think the biggest thing is you need to remember, like these babies aren't going to remember anything. And, and that is, um, that was so hard for me to accept was that like, oh my gosh, Reese is going to remember everything. Like he's going to remember that I wasn't holding him when he was two months old. And, and that's not true. Like he's not going to remember anything about my diagnosis. And, um, so, you know, you need, you need to focus on yourself and take care of yourself because those babies are going to love you no matter what. <laughs> And I think you're right. I mean, all of that stuff that we feel is our, as parents, right, as is kind of self-inflicted because you're right, the babies won't remember anything. Now, what about your toddler? Yeah. So I actually, um, I had a, I had a girlfriend who reached out to me a couple weeks ago um, who recently just got diagnosed with uh, breast cancer and she also is pregnant. And that was one of her questions. She has two kiddos that are about the same age as my daughter. And, um, you know, honestly, I think being home with my daughter has been a huge blessing. And um, I think that's really helped just the way that I parent her and, and being able to be with her every day. Um, 
I treat her differently than maybe I would with a kid who, I don't know, goes off. But I talk to her like she's just it. Like I talk to her like she's just another person. Um, I include her in things. I've bought cancer books for her. Um, I, when I got my port inserted, I showed it to her and I said, this is mommy's boo-boo. And she would kiss it and be like, oh, mommy's boo-boo. Like, are you feeling okay? Um, you know, it was, it, I think the hardest part for her was, um, when I was sick and her not being able to be held by me or, um, you know, not giving her all of my undivided attention, but throughout this entire thing, she understands when I have to go to doctor's appointments that, you know, mommy is going to get, um, fixed by the doctor. So mommy can feel all better, you know, whatever. So, I think at first it was a little traumatizing for her. We brought in a new baby. Mom got sick. Mom was going to the doctors once a week. And, you know, that was a huge change for her from somebody who was home with her every single day to now, like my mom is leaving the house without me, like what's going on. Um, But, you know, throughout this, she's been getting older and she's getting used to it and she's starting to just understand just this, like a little bit more. Um, right now I'm, I'm down getting radiation and I'm about three hours from my house and she's not here. She will be, she's coming. Um, but I'm going to be here for six weeks. And so even just this week being away from her, you know, I'm telling her mommy's getting her always all better. Like you're going to see me soon. And well, mommy, I want to come see you now. Well, you will, honey, you know? So, I mean, Too, what do you expect? But um, yeah, I mean, she's been great throughout the whole thing. When I shaved my head, uh, she was right there with me, like saw mm-hmm. me shave the head, took pictures with me, kissed my bald head. So I never excluded her from anything. I think that's really important. A lot of people tell me, you know, they're worried about how the kids are going to react and especially with the hair. And I think that I think you, you got it. You said it right. You know, the ch- children just want love, right? They need love. They need to feel loved. And I don't think they I think they're very resilient with these changes um, mm-hmm. that people go through. Do you have any suggestions for, you know, a lot of people worry about like, oh, I can't run around in the park, right? Or I can't do the physical stuff that I, I'm used to doing with my kids. Any things that you did where you got to spend time with her, but it maybe wasn't as physical or you got to, you know, relax a little bit. Um, fortunately I was diagnosed uh, in January. So I had the summer months to enjoy, um, going through chemo and stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, we did a lot of outdoor activities. We would go for walks. Like I tried to make sure that we walked every day, um, just playing outside. Um, I bought her a couple and then going through a pandemic too. Yeah. Yeah. That too. That too. (laughs) buy a couple like blow up things for her and stuff for the backyard um, just to try to make summer fun because I knew that I wouldn't be able to go out and enjoy things as much as I was normally able Mm -hmm. to and and then with things being closed down so Yeah. yeah and you're getting you're getting radiation far from home just that's where it's located or like talk to us about that Yeah, no. So my oncologist is originally um, from a city that's a few hours from my hometown. And um, he, he actually went to school and is kind of friends with the breast specialist 
here in, mm-hmm. I'm in, in Madison, Wisconsin. And, um, he, he recommended me getting, well, I wanted a second opinion. And so he recommended this doctor and, um, anyways, this is ended, ended up where I got my surgery okay. and surgeon. Perf- I don't know. She preferred maybe yeah. to get radiation here. My oncologist was totally fine with it. And so we decided to stay here. And are you driving back and forth? Or are you renting something? I'm in an Airbnb for six weeks. <laughs> so this is really the first time you're away from your kids. It is. Yes. I, I know someone asked me the other day, how, what's the longest you've ever been away? And the longest I've ever been away from Willow is a week and a half. So this isn't the longest span of time, but yeah, she'll be down Saturday and I'm sure we're both going to just run into each other's arms. <laughs> I am playing the peace and quiet though. I yeah. Guess. I was going to say like, what? Okay. No, you don't have two toddlers, right? You got to think something positive. Like what are you doing to pass the time? reading (laughs) are you reading anything good um not not really I no this is what I'm currently reading how to starve cancer so if you want to know how I feel (laughs) uh so so let's let's talk about that right tell me about what your thoughts are on all of that in this this, and I, I mean I think that there is a lot right so there's traditional there's the the, you know, Western medicine, right? The chemo, the radiation, the surgery. And there is also a lot out there of kind of complementary and alternative medicine. And I think everyone pursues it to different extents. Yes. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts and perspective on it. Um, I'm very, very faith-based. Um, I've always, I've always turned to God, but I will say ever since getting diagnosed, which I think this happens to a lot of people, um, I've turned even more to God. And so I will say that he is my go-to. I pray about a lot of things and, um, ask him for advice and, you know, all of that. But I'm also, and I've always been this way. I'm definitely the type of person that trusts in doctors. <laughs> While I, I want second opinions and I will research things on my own, if my oncologist says something, I'm typically going to go with what he suggests. Um, however, with that being said, I have been talking to a friend who also was diagnosed with the same cancer as me and she recommended this book. And so I started reading it because, um, you know, I think there is, there is science and data behind specific things that can help, you know, cancer not come back and, you know, with exercise and certain foods and all of that. And so I am not super far into this book yet, but just even, um, she talks about taking certain, I don't remember. I don't want to get it wrong, but I think it was like Advil or something versus, you know, ibuprofen or Tylenol. And, um, she just started talking about IV vitamin C. And, um, I did just bring that up to my oncologist too, who, you know, he's, he's a data guy. He's like, there's just not enough, not enough data out there to support that. But if that's something that you choose, I will a thousand percent support you. And, um, so it's just doing your own research and and what you believe, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's really important. You know, I think that more and more, I mean, there's this whole, you know, years ago, right. Oncology and medicine in general was like, well, the doctor said this, and this is what you have to do. Right. And 
now um, there's a lot more, I think, patient advocacy and patient education, and that is really important. And I think it's important that patients and doctors view their relationship as a partnership. And so I think that whatever people, you know, people do their own research, they believe, they have their beliefs, they have their faith. And um, and I think it's important to be able to come to your oncologist or come to some of your doctor and say, you know, I read about this. What do you think? And have an educated conversation about it. Um, and I think that's the most important thing. And you want to find, I tell everybody this, but you want to find a doctor and a team where you can listen to each other, right? And say, this is important to me. And okay, is this the right time to do it? Should I do it later? Like all of these things. Yes. I think that's so, so crucial is you need to find a team that you trust and that you love. And I mean, if you don't, if you don't trust your team, then what are you doing? You know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I definitely put, put a lot of faith in him and and he knows that, you know, don't screw up. (laughs) I mean, there's so much out there that says this is going to help and this is going to help, but this isn't going to, I mean, it's just you, trial and error, I guess. And, and and there's a lot of good out there and there's also a lot of misinformation out there. Um, yeah. And I, I think that the misinformation sometimes gets propagated unintentionally, right? Because especially with social media, I think people are putting in an oncology, but people put out what worked for them, right? Or what their experience was. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that's gonna work for other people. But then those things get propagated, right? And it's like, oh, well, my friend tried this. And it doesn't mean that it's wrong. It may not be right, Um, but there's so much out there that I think it's really hard for patients to sometimes, and for doctors too, to be able to kind of parse through all that and figure out, hey, is this right? Is this not right? Like, what's going on? Well, and with stuff like that too, it's so hard because I mean, every single body is differently. And, you know, even with, even with chemo, like Taxel was great for me, but maybe for the person next door, like they got super sick the entire time or whatever. So it just goes to show that like exactly what you said, what works for one person isn't going to work for somebody else. And, um, you know, so what is working right now is what I want to, and, and that's what my doctor recommends. So that's what I'm going to do. I think, I mean, just like anything, everyone's experiences are different, right? Forget about cancer for a second. Look at pregnancies and birth stories, right? Everyone has such a completely different experience because everyone's body is different and the way we react and process things is differently. So yeah. I think that the beauty of social media um, and oncology is that it allows you to connect with all these people and, sh- and hear people's stories. But I always urge people to not just because someone else experienced it doesn't mean that that's going to be your truth or your experience. Yes. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to share about your you know, your chemotherapy, your surgery, radiation, any of that, or any kind of experience over the last year? One thing I want to say is um, I, so I had surgery August 9th and I really believed that I was fully healed. I really believed it in my heart. I just knew that I was going to have a complete response and, and I didn't. Um, I got my pathology report back and I ended up having less than 1% of cancer. (laughs) And, um, you know, I, I was 
so sad. I was so, so, so sad. And I, I took my time to mourn with that as well. Um, took me a couple of days and then I realized it's okay. This is going to be okay. And one thing I want to say with that is I think when it comes to cancer, um, everybody has the mindset that they want to have that complete response because your, your outlook is a little bit better and, and all of that. However, nowadays cancer does not need to be a death sentence. And I, I truly believe that you don't need to have that complete response to know that you're going to have a longer life than somebody else. It doesn't matter. And, um, maybe I'm telling myself this cause I need, I need this for my own good. But, um, you know, I just, I think that not having a complete response isn't talked about enough. All you hear is about having that complete response and you're going to do so much better and blah, blah, blah. And, um, so I just want, I want people to know that it's okay. Like it's okay. If you don't get it, you're still going to fight. And, um, you know, one thing that my oncologist and I were talking about is I get that extra love. I get that extra preventative that yeah. somebody else didn't get. I had less than 1% and had they removed it and I had a complete response, but maybe I had those micro cells still in there. I mean, I'm, I'm getting that extra preventative and, um, and sometimes that's, that's okay. <laughs> I think that's such a good point. Um, we don't talk about it enough. And I always tell people, I, I, I try not to, um, put all this hope riding on a complete response because it's not a hundred, you know, it's only about a 60% chance that you're going to have a complete response. Um, you're right. It doesn't, that's old data. The fact that your complete response and, and if you don't have a complete response that things are bad, that is old data. We have seen, first of all, you know, new drugs approved in the last year for if you don't have a complete response. And we have all these drugs now. We have immunotherapy, we have PARP inhibitors for BRCA mutations, we have Zalota, we have all these things and more are coming. So I think this not having a complete response, those statistics are going to change with time. You know, and I think when we talk about statistics and we talk about data, what we want, we want the cancer to shrink. Okay. So that's important. But also those, those statistics are like a decade old. Mm -hmm. right like they're not accurate anymore yeah um and so I think that you're right I, I I always try to kind of it's important to set expectations um because you don't want to get disappointed you know if you don't have to yeah I you know when I first got diagnosed I a hundred percent was the type that googled please don't google <laughs> and like said like that stuff is it's old data um but also at the same time like I've always believed that I'm not a number I'm not a statistic and and I am who I am and so I never once asked my I didn't I don't I didn't want to know anything um after surgery and getting my like my pathology report back I did ask and um you know it, it was a little scary um, because the number is different than having that complete response. Mm -hmm. But again, he, I will be taking Zalota and then also with radiation, um, you know, and with how little of cancer I had remaining, he's like, Karine, you're at about, a, you know, probably 25% chance, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, basically he said the odds are in your favor and you know what, I'm going to run with that. <laughs> so 
You're right. I mean, and things keep, you know, there's, there's new research, there's more stuff coming out all the time, right? So those numbers are old. And you're right, you are not a number. And I hope everyone listening to this knows that because statistics, they're averages, right? So yes, you have technically have a lower risk of recurrence if you have a complete response, but it's not zero. And there's people who have a complete response who recur. And there's so many people who don't have a complete response that never recur. Um, And so I think sometimes we get too hung up on numbers. Yes, for sure. I I think they're, they don't necessarily mean anything to the person who, whose cancer comes back. Right. Or so, but, um, I I think, thank you for sharing that because that is really, really important. Yeah. I mean, you just need to remember that your story is not somebody else's story. So I I love that. Where can listeners find you on social media if they want to connect with you? Yeah, I'm on, um, Instagram is my main page. Um, it's Kareen, K-O-R-E-E-N, 0589 is my handle there. Um, and, and I'm, I am on Facebook, but not really. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing. I feel like no one's really like on Facebook anymore. Um, and last question for you, what do you do as a health coach? I'm always curious because I know there's so many different roles that you can play. Yeah. So I am, a, I'm a Beachbody coach and I have been since, um, 2017. Um, it, I was originally, I was a store manager at a retail store and I was there for four and a half years. Um, but when I started coaching, um, I just kind of did that on the side. And when I got pregnant with my daughter, it started to pick up and, um, that's why I chose to leave my job and stay home and work on the side. And it's been really great. Um, the community is the biggest piece for me. And I think, you know, even ever since I got diagnosed with cancer, it's like social media is just, it can be a terrible thing, but it also can be so great because you just find your people, the people that you never would have met before. Um, so yes, the the health community, the cancer community, all of it has been amazing. So that's wonderful. Thank you so much for talking to me. And I know that yes. this episode is going to help a lot of people. Oh, I hope so. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening to my conversation with Corrine. She has handled her diagnosis and treatment with such grace and positivity. I want to take this time to encourage everyone to listen to your body. I think that Corrine's experience of saying something doesn't feel right, this infection is not going away, I need to pursue additional treatment and a workup really highlights the importance of advocating for yourself, of knowing when something doesn't feel right in your body, and really making sure that you are getting the care that you need and deserve. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, but really this is something that we should be aware of all year round. If you have not gotten your mammogram, this would be a good time to call and make that appointment. You can find Corrine on Instagram at Corrine, K-O-R-E-E-N, 0589. And you can find me on Instagram as well as Facebook or Twitter at Dr. Toplinski. As always, if you are enjoying the podcast, I would be so honored if you would leave a rating and a review over on Apple Podcasts, as that is the best way to help me grow the show and bring these stories and experiences to more people. Have a wonderful weekend. 
and I will see all of you soon.